signs that we are now seeing the age of Babylon the harlot. As in all prophecies of the Bible there have been a foreshadowing, precursors or harbingers of theor fulfillment. The same is true with the breaking of the tribulation seals, the future sounding of the tribulation trumpets and pouring out of the tribulation bowls. This is a commentary and a reminder that we are now seeing harbingers of the coming great and fearful day of God's judgment and His wrath. These verses are dealing specifically with the two beasts, the false prophet, Satan and both the faithful church and the faithless church and theor fate. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven bowls, came to me, and spoke with me, saying. Revelation 17 1. Verse 1. This and the following chapters, to Revelation 19:21, consist of visions which are really included under the seventh bowl, but which, on account of their length and elaboration, may be considered apart from the other judgments of that bowl. In the preceding chapters we have had placed before us. 1. A synopsis of three classes of ungodly people, and 2. The three principles of evil in their abstract form. a. As they are represented, first, by the world, the first beast, the Antichrist, the flesh. b. And the second beast, the false prophet, and c. The devil, the dragon. The personal final overthrow of the devil is described in Revelation 20:10, Revelation 17, and 18, are devoted to the description of the judgments of the two former dash. a. The world, in its character of the openly hostile persecutor of the Church of God. b. And the other portion of the ungodly who, while still professing Christianity, find excuses for conforming to the worship of the image of the beast. The first beast is, therefore, identical with Babylon, and represents, as we have seen, the openly hostile and persecuting world power of all ages, of which, in St. John's time, Rome was the foremost embodiment. The second beast is identical with the harlot, and represents faithless Christians, the apostate portion of the church. The very reason for the apocalypse is to deal with these two forms of evil. A. To declare the overthrow of the one, and to warn and, if possible. B. To reclaim those under the influence of the other. In the latter case, the warning consists in setting forth the judgment in store for faithless Christians, and as this is the course pursued with the former also, the two merge into one, and indeed are declared to be one. The Apostle in substance declares that, though there is a prima facie difference between the two forms of ungodliness, there is in reality no distinction to be made, but both are involved in one common final judgment. He thus twice solemnly asserts that the harlot is Babylon, verse 5 and 18. Revelation 17:2. She with whom the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality, and the inhabitants of the earth have become intoxicated with the wine of her immorality. Verse 2. Of the earth is used here, as it frequently is, for the worldly is distinguished from the righteous, and the two classes mentioned indicate the universality of this faithlessness, it is not confined to any one grade of society. As we have seen, see on verse 1 and Revelation 14 8, the figure of fornication is repeatedly used to describe faithlessness towards God. The verse, therefore, declares that a. This faithless portion of the church has chosen rather to render to the world that love which is due to God, and b to be connected rather with the powers of this world than to have its treasure in heaven. The expression, wine of her fornication, is a repetition of that in Revelation 14 8, and is derived from Jeremiah 2 7, cf. Also Revelation 16 19 and Revelation 18 3. Revelation 17 2. Revelation 17 3, And the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was entirely covered with blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Verse 3. Some commentators have thought that the wilderness signifies the desolation which is the lot of the harlot, 
see verse 16, Revelation 18 2, 19, also Jeremiah 51 26. But we can hardly avoid the conclusion that the wilderness here is that spoken of in Revelation 12 6, 14, which is symbolical of this world, particularly when we remember that the wilderness in both cases is the abode of a woman, who moreover is representative of the church, though in Revelation 12. She represents the church of God as a whole, persecuted by Satan, and in this place the woman is representative of the faithless part of the church, see also below on beast. Vitringa, referring to Isaiah 21 1, and Revelation 17 1, 15, and Ezekiel 20 35, arrives at a similar conclusion, it is a wilderness of the people. And I saw a woman. There is no article, but this vision, occurring immediately after the words of verse 1, I will show thee. The great harlot, identifies this woman with the harlot of verse 1. This woman represents the faithless portion of the church, see on verse 1, that part which, following after worldly things, has thereby rendered to the beast the love and honor due to God alone. This woman is not identical with the woman of Revelation 12. The latter represents the faithful, the former the faithless, part of the church. Sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Here again, as in wilderness, vitae supra, we have theta eta rho omicron nu, beast, without the article, but the identity of this beast with that of Revelation 13 1 is established by 1. The same outward characteristics of names of blasphemy, seven heads and ten horns. 2. Its connection with kings, etc. verse. 12-14 in Revelation 19 19, 20. 3. Its connection with the false prophet, Revelation 13. And Revelation 19 20. 4. Its connection with the harlot, the one representing the world power, the other the faithless, worldly portion of the church. That the woman sits upon the beast denotes, not that she exercises control and guidance over it, as offered, for comp. Verse 16, but rather that the woman relies upon the beast for support and safety, thus presenting an accurate description of those who prefer to trust to the power and influence of the world rather than to God. Scarlet, whether the color of the beast itself or of its trappings is immaterial, may signify either. A. The worldly preeminence and power of which it is the sign, and for which the woman allies herself with the beast, or b. The bloodstained persecution of which the beast is the author. The first interpretation coincides best with the words which immediately follow, the second one agrees with the description in verse 6 and Revelation 13:7. On the names of blasphemy, as signifying opposition to and rivalry with God, see on Revelation 13:1, the seven heads denote universality of, earthly, dominion, and the ten horns denote plenitude of power, see on Revelation 13:1. Revelation 17:3 Revelation 17:4 The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls, and she was holding in her hand a gold cup full of the abominations and the filth of her sexual immorality. Verse 4 These words, taken in connection with those that follow, seem to signify the worldly magnificence which may be the portion of the faithless Christian. Some writers see an allusion to the purple robe of Christ on the meaning of scarlet see on verse 3, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, gilded with, etc. Similar descriptions are given in Ezekiel 16-13 and Ezekiel 28-13. Compare the description in Revelation 21-11. This account is sufficiently characteristic of the world's attractions to need no comment, only to say that this is the adornment of the faithless and false church. Having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, full of abominations, even the unclean things of, etc. Another reference to Jeremiah 51 7, cf. Also Revelation 14 10. Abominations are all things that are displeasing to God. On fornication, 
see on Revelation 14 8 and Revelation 17 1, 2, it signifies unfaithfulness towards God, Revelation 17 4. Revelation 17 5. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, false religions, heresies, and of the abominations of the earth. Verse 5. This practice was customary with harlots. Also, in Revelation 14 1 and Revelation 7 3 the faithful members of God's church have His name in their foreheads, here the faithless ones, represented by the harlot, exhibit a spurious imitation. a. As God's name marked the former as His. b. So, the name Babylon, etc., marks the latter as belonging to the world, see on Revelation 16 19, 17-5, 18-2. The name consists of the words following, to the end of the verse. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The word mystery may be. 1. Part of the name, standing coordinately with Babylon, Alford, Bleak, Hengstenberg, Vitringa, Wordsworth. 2. A description of the following title, being thus in apposition with New Omicron Mu Alpha, Name, Oberlin, Devetta, Dusterd Yek, Ebrard. 3. An adverb used in the same sense as in the last case, Stuart. Whichever view be taken, there can be no doubt that the purpose is to draw attention to the fact which is contained in the following words, a fact which might otherwise be exceedingly difficult to receive. For the rest of the verse asserts that the harlot is Babylon, that is, that the worldly portion of the church, though nominally Christian, is in reality identical with the world, which is openly antagonistic to God. Indeed, the latter portion of the verse goes even further than this. This faithless, though outwardly Christian, portion of Christ's church is the mother, that is, the cause of the existence of unfaithfulness to God. It is the professing Christian who is worldly-minded who does more to cause disobedience and unfaithfulness in others toward God, than he or she who openly declares themselves in opposition to God, and even persecutes the faithful. See the words to the church in Laodicea, I would rather that you were cold or hot, Revelation 3:15. On abominations of the earth, see on verse 4, Revelation 17:5, Revelation 17:6. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, God's people, and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, who were martyred. When I saw her, I wondered in amazement. Verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, of the witnesses, cf. Revelation 11:7. Another point of contrast between this woman and the woman of Revelation 12, the former persecutes, the latter is persecuted. It may be asked, how can these words be applied to professing Christians, as they must be, if such be the interpretation of the harlot? The answer may be found in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 2 34 and Jeremiah 3 1-11 we find the origin of this passage. Judah is a harlot, Jeremiah 2 20, Jeremiah 3 1, 8, with a sign upon her forehead, Jeremiah 3 3, who causes transgression in others, Jeremiah 2 and compare above, mother of harlots, and in whose skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents, Jeremiah 2:34. She is clothed in crimson, Jeremiah 4:30, and golden ornaments, cf. Revelation 17:4. Her lovers will despise her, Jeremiah 4:30, and seek her life, cf. Revelation 17:16. Just as it was declared that in Judah was found the blood of the innocent poor, so here we are told that the faithless part of the church is guilty of the blood of the saints. The reason is found in the inscription. The harlot is absolutely identified with Babylon. No distinction in guilt can be allowed between the openly hostile world and the faithless Christian. He that is not with me, God declares, is against me, Matthew 12 20.
the description drunken with, etc., is similar to that of Babylon in Revelation 18:2, and also in Jeremiah 51:7. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration, with a great wonder, revised version. Probably because the seer can scarcely realize that some who are professing Christians must be held guilty of such enormities, that the harlot, representing a portion of the church, faithless even though it be, should be classed with the world, as represented by Babylon and the beast. Perhaps the wonder is caused by the fact that such a thing should ever be permitted to be, this leading to the following explanation, which shows how the unfaithfulness is avenged. Revelation 17 6. Revelation 17 7. But the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Verse 7. Though the seer cannot fully comprehend the terrible significance of the sign he sees, viz. that a portion of the church is one with the hostile world, see on verse 6, yet there are sufficient marks wherewith to identify it. The woman, the wilderness, the reliance upon the world power, the inscription, the similar description of Judah and Jeremiah 2 and 3. See on verse 6, might have made the interpretation plain. I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns, the ten horns, cf. Verse 5, which declares that this essential unity is a mystery. Observe, too, that the mystery of the woman and of the beast is all one. On the beast, the seven heads, and the ten horns. See on previous verses, especially Revelation 13 1, in verse 1 the harlot is said to sit on the waters, here the beast carries her. The two statements are really identical, both the beast and the waters represent the worldly power found among peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, verse 14. Revelation 17 7. Revelation 17 8. The beast that you saw was, once, but, now, is not, and he is about to come up out of the abyss, the bottomless pit, the dwelling place of demons, and go to destruction, perdition. And the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he was and is not and is yet to come, to earth. Verse 8. The latter part of this passage is related again in Revelation 19:20. The beast, as we have seen is the world power, Satan in his character of prince of this world. Three stages are marked out in the existence of this world power. A. First, it was. B. Second, it is not now. C. Thirdly, it reappears, to be cast into perdition. The first period describes the condition of things before the sacrifice of Christ. Then it was that Satan ruled supreme in the world, that the power of the world, the beast, was. But Christ overcame the world, John 16:33. henceforth to all true believers there is peace, although they may have tribulation in the world, John 16:33. for the faithful Christian the power of the world, the beast, is not. Yet, though for the true servant of God there is a sense in which it may be said that this power has no existence, it nevertheless exists in the abyss, that is, in its natural abiding place in the world, among the worldly-minded, and thus may cause tribulation to the faithful. A further downfall is, therefore, prepared for it, that which will take place at the last day, when it will ascend from the abyss to go into perdition. This non-existence, contemporaneously with existence and subsequent reappearance, is exactly what is described in the wound healed, Revelation 13:3. see also the remainder of this verse. The period, therefore, embraced in these words is that of the whole existence of this world. It coincides with the period referred to in Revelation 12:14 and 17, and in Revelation 23. Throughout the Apocalypse the word translated bottomless pit, authorized version, and abyss, revised version, is used to describe the dwelling place of Satan, see Revelation 9 1, 2, 11, 
Revelation 11:7, Revelation 21, 3, while working in the world. Perdition is described in Revelation 19:20 as the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he was and is not and is yet to come, to earth, how that the beast was, and is not, and shall be present. The last words show exactly what is meant in the first part of the verse, which see. The first words are a repetition of words in Revelation 13:8, which see. Revelation 17:8. Revelation 17:9. Here is the mind which has wisdom, and this is what it knows about the vision. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. Amid and. Read, here is the mind, or, meaning, etc. These words, as in Revelation 13:18, draw attention to the explanation which follows, or else that which precedes, cf. Revelation 13:18. They also make it appear that the explanation which the angel offers of the mystery is not one to be understood without some difficulty. 1. The seven heads are seven mountains, on which the woman sitteth. The diversity of opinions on the interpretation of this passage is mainly owing to the fact that writers are not consistent in their application of symbols and numbers, in one place interpreting figuratively, in another literally. We have repeatedly seen that the language of the apocalypse and its numbers are symbolical. 2. The seals are not literal seals, the lamb is not a literal lamb, the beast is not a literal beast, etc. 1. So here, the mountains are not literal mountains. A mountain is a symbol of power, see on Revelation 8 8. 2. 7 is the number significant of universality, see on Revelation 1 4, 5 1, etc. The plain meaning of the passage, therefore, is that the woman relies upon a visibly universal power. This is precisely the idea contained in verse 3, which describes the faithless part of the church, the harlot, trusting to the power of the world, the beast. Of course, the most prominent form of this world power in St. John's time was heathen Rome, hence, some writers believe that the seven hilled city, Rome, is referred to here, either pagan or papal Rome. And, indeed, this may be a partial fulfillment of the vision, but it is not the whole signification. To understand seven mountains literally in this place renders it necessary to interpret 42 weeks, etc., literally in another. Revelation 17 9. My comment, many commentators, especially those who see all of Revelation fulfilled in history, regard the seven mountains as an irrefutable connection with Rome. Clark is a good example of this when he writes, this verse has been almost universally considered to allude to the seven hills upon which Rome originally stood. 1. 1. But in the Bible mountains are sometimes a figure of governments, such as in Daniel 2.35, and the city of Rome is built on hills, not mountains. 2. The seven heads are seven mountains, it is probably better to see the seven mountains as representing the seven kings and kingdoms described in Revelation 17.10. Many people find the connection between religious Babylon and Roman Catholicism irresistible, yet it is flawed in the sense that there is no doubt that religious Babylon will incorporate a strong Roman Catholic element, but it will be much bigger than Roman Catholicism. 3. Tendencies for Roman Catholicism's ultimate partnership with a one-world religion were evident in Pope John Paul II's bizarre involvement with and approval of other anti-Christian religions. 4. In addressing a prayer gathering of Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists and others, Pope John Paul II told participants that their efforts were unleashing profound spiritual energies in the world and bringing about a new climate of peace. The Pope pledged that the Catholic Church intends to share in and promote such ecumenical and interreligious cooperation. 3. The Catholic Review commented on this and said, 
the unity of religion promoted by the Holy Father Pope John Paul II and approved by His Holiness the Dalai Lama is not a goal to be achieved immediately, but a day may come when the love and compassion which both Buddha and Christ preached so eloquently will unite the world in a common effort to save humanity from senseless destruction, and lead toward the light in which we all believe. Revelation 17:10. And they are seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one exists and is reigning, the other, the seventh, has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain a little while. Verse 10. Here we have the same idea, cf. Verse 9, with a somewhat different aspect. The phrase in verse 9, seven mountains, regarded the world power as one universal indivisible whole, without respect to particular times or modes in which it might be exhibited. In this phrase, seven kings, we have the same world power viewed in its successive exhibitions by different nations, though here again we must be on our guard not to interpret the number seven literally of seven nations. The kings represent worldly states or kingdoms, seven, again, betokens universality. We are thus told that this world power on which the woman relies is exhibited in the manifestation of power by successive nations, for example Egyptian, Assyrian, Roman, etc., as many as have ever existed or shall exist, for this is the meaning of seven. Five are fallen, and. One is, and. The other is not yet come. The five, the one, the other. Amid and. Here, again, not literally the seer divides the whole series of anti-theistic world powers into three groups, and he would say, some, probably the majority, of these are passed away. The second group embraces the world power as it is exhibited now, whether Roman, Jewish, or any other, in the third group are included those yet to come. Thus, those writers who enumerate Egypt, Nineveh, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Syria, etc., in the first group, are partially correct, and only wrong in so far as they attempt to limit and define the kingdoms, and similarly, also those who in the third group place the Roman Empire after the barbarian invasions, or imperial Germany, etc. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space, a little while, revised version. This short space describes the remainder of the time of the world's existence. Such is its meaning in Revelation 6:11 and Revelation 12:12, 12, 12, and again in Revelation 23. In a similar manner, also, shortly come to pass, etc. Revelation 1 1, 3, Revelation 2 5, 16, etc. Cf. also John 16 17, 28. Revelation 17 10. Revelation 17 11. And the beast that, once, was but is not, is himself also an eighth king and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction, perdition. Verse 11. We may note that eighth refers to king in verse 10, being masculine gender. The absence of the article before Gamma Delta Omicron Sigma, 8th, shows that this is not the 8th in a successive series, in which the kings already mentioned form the first seven. The revised version probably gives the correct meaning, is of the seven, that is, the beast himself consists of, and is formed by, what has been denoted by the seven kings. We have already interpreted the beast as the worldly power, Satan in his capacity of prince of this world. We have also shown that the seven kings describes this worldly power as it exists throughout all ages. This verse, therefore, sums up and reasserts briefly what has been already virtually intimated in the symbolism employed, viz. That the beast is the sum total of what has been described under the form of five kings, then one king, and then one king again, verse 10. His final doom is also reasserted, he goeth into perdition, cf. Verse 8 in Revelation 19:20, Revelation 17:11. Revelation 17:12 The 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom but together they receive authority as kings for a single hour 
for a common purpose, along with the beast. Verse 12. The horns, as we have seen, are symbolical of power, see on Revelation 13 1, and 10 signifies completeness and sufficiency, Revelation 13 1. By the ten horns, therefore, is expressed widespread, complete power. But this power, says the seer, has not come into existence as yet. He thus points to a coming power, hostile to God, such as is described in that part of the account of the seven kings which states the other is not yet come, verse 10. It seems probable, therefore, that in describing the forces opposed to God, those past, those present, and those yet to come, St. John foresees that the hostile world power will not be always preeminently wielded by one nation, as in his own time, but will be divided into many parts, here represented by the number 10, though not necessarily exactly 10 in number. This, indeed, exactly describes what has really been the case since St. John's time, and what, humanly speaking, seems likely to continue to the end of the world. These ten horns seem thus to be identical with the seventh king of verse 10. Compare the account given of the horns in Daniel 7. But receive power as kings one hour with the beast, authority, revised version. One hour denotes a short time, in which way the Bible constantly describes the period of the world's existence, and especially that period which intervenes between the time of the writer and the judgment day, cf. Romans 16 20, 1 Corinthians 7 29, Revelation 6 11, Revelation 12 12, Revelation 22 20, etc. This sentence thus declares that, though in the future divided into many parts, and thus not being visibly as potential as former single united kingdoms, nevertheless this hostile world power will be still formidable, having ranged itself on the side of the beast, acting for and with him, and receiving power from him. Verse 13. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast, they give, present tense, their power and authority, etc. That is, though apparently split up into many sections, they form practically one, acting by and for the beast on whose side they range themselves, see on verse 32. Revelation 17:12. Revelation 17:13. These, kings, have one purpose, one mind, one common goal, and they give their power and authority to the beast. Revelation 17:14. They will wage war against the Lamb, Christ, and the Lamb will triumph and conquer them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him and on His side are the called and chosen, elect, and faithful. Verse 14. This connects the description with Revelation 16:34 and with Revelation 19:11-21. This war between the Lamb and the powers of evil is that which extends throughout the history of the world. See below. It occupies the one hour of verse 12, which is equivalent to the period of the world's existence. But the seer in this verse looks forward also to the termination of the conflict, the result of which, here briefly indicated, is soon to be narrated more fully. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. This is the reason given to the Israelites, Deuteronomy 10:17, for obedience to God, cf. Also Daniel 2:47, 1 Timothy 6:15, and Revelation 19:16. Though the beast may exercise m this world dominion and power as prince of this world, yet the lamb is king still greater, to whom the beast must finally succumb. He is thus king above the kings of Revelation 17:2:10. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. The revised version is more correct and they that are with him, called and chosen and faithful, shall also overcome. Another evidence of the lifelong nature of this war. Not only Christ wars and overcomes, but those associated with him are permitted to share in the battle and the victory. 1. Christ's saints are called here to battle, in Revelation 19:9. 2. They are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, also. 3. The exhortation to faithfulness in Revelation 2:10.
The three epithets describe the progressive life of those who share Christ's victory they are called, as all men are, to serve Him, having heard the call, they dedicate their lives to His service, and become His chosen servants. Finally, having remained faithful to Him, they share in His victory. Revelation 17:15. Then the angel said to me, The waters which you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Verse 15. As in verse 7, these words form the preface to a particular description. Having explained the mystery of the beast, to whom the woman looks for support, the angel now proceeds to unfold the mystery of the harlot herself. The waters which thou saw, where the horse sits, those mentioned in verse 1. In verse 7 we are told that the beast carries the woman. Both statements are correct. The beast is the world power, which is found among the peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Our peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues, the fourfold description of the human race, cf. Revelation 5 9, etc., which, as a whole, serves the beast, Revelation 13 3, 8, 12, 16, and out of which are selected the redeemed, Revelation 5 9, Revelation 9 9. Revelation 17 16. And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the prostitute and will make her desolate and naked, stripped of her power and influence, and will eat her flesh and completely consume her with fire. Verse 16. The two are spoken of separately, on account of the separate jurisdiction wielded according to verse 32 and 13. These shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire, and shall burn her utterly with fire, revised version. These words describe the fate in store for the faithless portion of the church. That world, to which she trusts, shall turn and rend her, a fitting sequel to her one of faith in the power of Christ. This is exactly the description given of the harlot in Ezekiel 16:37, cf. Also Ezekiel 23:22. Eat her flesh and burn with fire both describe similar results, possibly the one is thought of in connection with the symbol of harlot, the other with the symbol of city, with which the harlot is identical, see on ver. 5, but see Genesis 38:24, Leviticus 21:9, cf. Also the judgment upon the wicked in James 5 3, shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Revelation 17 17. For God has put it in their hearts to carry out His purpose by, f agreeing together to surrender their kingdom to the beast, until the, prophetic, words of God will be fulfilled. Verse 17. God did put, to do His mind, and to come to one mind, revised version. His mind is thought to signify the beast's mind. Others understand God's mind. In either ease the general sense is plain. While the world power is apparently performing the will of the beast, God is working above all, only by His permission can anything be done, the it was given of Revelation 13. The words of God are His denunciations against those who trust to the world, cf. Ezekiel 16:37, quoted on Ver. 16. Revelation 17:18. The woman whom you saw is the, G great city, which reigns over and dominates and controls the kings and the political leaders of the earth. Verse 18. A repetition of the assertion made in verse 5, that the harlot and Babylon are identical, see on verse 5. Many writers have been led by this verse to believe that Rome, either pagan or papal, is thus pointed out as the antitype of the harlot. That this is one fulfillment of the vision need hardly be doubted. Rome was in St. John's time the foremost embodiment of the hostile forces of the world. But this is not the whole fulfillment, which is in all time, see above, especially on verse 1 of this chapter. All commentary is from the pulpit commentary, unless otherwise noted. As in all prophecies of the Bible there have been a foreshadowing, precursors or harbingers of fear fulfillment.
The same is true with the breaking of the tribulation seals, the future sounding of the tribulation trumpets and pouring out of the tribulation bowls. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. P.S. Click here for a more detailed look and study of. 1. The Mystery of Babylon. 2. The Dragon, the Beast and the Lamb.